We are so thrilled to have Pastor Louie and Shelley Giglio in the house. You know, I would have to take all of all of the, the time on the clock uh, to do justice to how grateful um, myself, my wife, my family, and all of our team here in church are at Fresh Life for what God has done through Louis Giglio and Shelly Giglio, the passion movement, the music, Passion City Church, and just the beautiful friendship that God has woven together as we've uh, become friends and more than friends as we've uh, been serving together, doing things for Jesus. It's a great, great honor to have you with us. We love you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Come on, every Fresh Life location on your feet as we hear about Goliath must fall. Louis Giglio's with us. Come on. Come on, yeah. Woo! Amazing. Yeah. Woo! Wow. Amazing. So great uh, being at Fresh Life. What an incredible day to be in church. And uh, I've said it before, but we love this vision and love the thought that people are linked together all across the greater Northwest and more cities coming. What a great uh, thing to think today. There are more cities coming in just a few months. And so shout out to the people in Portland on the way. You know, just let's believe God for that today. And uh, Great Falls as well. But uh, thank you guys for joining. You can have a seat wherever you are. I want to jump right in today. I want to say thank you to Levi and Jenny, who are amazing people, by the way, which you already knew that. And I just want to say how grateful Shelly and I are for their friendship, their lives, and to everybody get to meet Lennox tonight. We just met Lennox. What a champ this guy is. And I don't know how he's going to do, Olivia. I don't know what you think, but he's got a, a mom and three other moms um, already. So I think he's got a great future coming. But we love Levi. We love Jenny. Uh, we love Daisy, Clover, Clover, Le Livia, and now Lennox. Amazing family and a partner with them. We feel like we're partnering with Fresh Life. So it's great. I don't know where you are right now, but just incredible thought. That's one thing I love about us being linked together is it's not just a few of us, but it's an army of us linked together by the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus today, Fresh Life Church. So you might be in Missoula, you might be in Bozeman, Billings, Kalispell right here where we are, Whitefish, Polson, might be watching online from somewhere, Salt Lake City where we just came from. You know, you got to go through Salt Lake City to get to where we are right now. To get to Montana, if you didn't know, you got to either ride in on a horse or you got to go through Salt Lake City. So we love you guys and hope that you're leaning in with us today. You know, the greatest underdog story of all time is the story of David and Goliath. Everybody knows it. You don't have to be in church to know this story. People in business know it. People in sports know it. It's a metaphor that's used for the underdogs of life wherever we find them. And I don't think anybody probably needs the background on the story today. What we need is the foreground reality that it's not just a shepherd boy and a nine-foot-tall Goliath somewhere back in history that we're talking about today. We're talking about giants that are still standing in our valleys today, and they're taking the wind out of our sails and taunting us and keeping us from everything God has dreamed for for our lives. That's why we say Goliath must fall. It's for our freedom's sake and for God's glory's sake. Whatever's got its foot on our neck today has got to come down in the power of Jesus' name. 
could be the giant of comfort, which is a little sneaky one uh, that's in the book. We won't talk about that today because that's step on everybody's toes in the house today. But it could be the giant of addiction or anger. Rejection is a big giant in our lives. Or the giant that we're going to focus on today, the giant of fear. The story is found in 1 Samuel 17. If you have access to a Bible or scripture, I hope that you'll turn there with me. I want to read just a couple of verses in the story so that you'll know today that we're not just like pulling giants out of a hat. This isn't like an illusionist presentation where we're like, oh, let's get a giant out of the story of David and Goliath. We're letting the giants emerge out of the text and then discovering These same giants are around in our lives right now. And we see right in the opening of this, if you'll just read down to verse uh, 8 and following, it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? In other words, he's perplexed because nobody's fighting and he wants to know why they keep coming out. Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Then choose a man, have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So the stakes are high. And then the Philistine said, this day, I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And then look at verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, the king of this army of Israel, and all, can we all say that? Saul and all. Can you say that with me? Saul and all. Everybody is in the same boat after hearing the Philistines' taunts. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Fast forward over to verse 24. David has now arrived into the story. He steps up to the battle line to bring supplies to his brothers. He now hears Goliath, and he says at the end of verse 24, it's recorded, and when the Israelites saw the man, when they saw Goliath, what had they seen? They'd seen this nine-and-a-half-foot giant covered in armor from head to toe. They knew he was undefeated. They knew he was really unassailable. He had a track record from his youth. And it says, and when they saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. That's why we're saying today that fear must fall. Fear is a huge giant Not only in this story, not only in their lives, but in the lives of so many people today. I would imagine somebody in every gathering, in every city today, is saying, that's exactly where I am. And if it's not fear, it's one of fear's cousins. You know, Goliath had brothers. He came from a messed up gene pool. He wasn't only nine foot tall and, you know, a little bit... Uh, out of the bounds of the percentile ranges for what normal human growth looked like. He had brothers who were giants. He had a brother with 10 fingers and 10 toes on each hand and on each foot. So whatever family they came from was a little wacky, but at the same time, we see that we've still got these kind of giants in our story today, and fear is a big one, and its cousins like Goliath's brothers are worry. That's just a nicer way of saying fear sometimes. Panic, stress, depression, dread, doom, darkness, and then anxiety, which of course is a giant that has its hand on the throat of America. 
Anxiety is everywhere. It's a cousin of fear. They're not exactly the same thing, but the giant is standing in this story and the giant standing in our story. I heard a great pastor say that fear is faith in the enemy. His name was Levi Lesko, and I stole that from him. And the first two or three times, I gave him credit for it. And then after that, I just said, a friend of mine. And then after that, I just said, fear is faith in the enemy. So I'm here to correct and repair that. And if Levi stole it from someone, then I offer higher credit to those people that he stole it from before he forgot where he got it. But fear is faith that everything the enemy plans is going to happen. Fear is basically Murphy's Law on steroids. Everything that can go wrong is going to go wrong. And fear is forgetting that God is great and has a plan for our life that can't be thwarted. And so if fear is in the story, if fear is in your story, or one of fear's cousins, then you've heard something like this. Now, this is old school cassette tape player. Google it later. Pretty amazing. You can probably still find one on eBay, but when fear is in your story, you hear something like this playing in the background, the soundtrack of your story is something like this. You are not going to make it. This is too big to overcome. You might as well give up. This is where it all falls apart. You are never going to recover from this. Something bad is going to happen to you. This is never going to work out. God has completely forgotten about you. Don't even think that there is a way through this. I wonder what other terrible things might happen. No one cares about you. No one is pulling for you. The worst thing that could happen will happen. It's amazing how many people live with that script as the soundtrack for their life. The enemy has gotten into the story. He's planted a seed of fear in their life. It's grown to become a giant dominating their thinking, dominating the landscape of what they think can happen and what is possible for their life. And that's why we're saying today at Fresh Life that fear must fall. Why? Because it's it's taking the life out of us and it's stealing the glory away from a great God who has a perfect plan for our lives and the power and the capacity to pull off the promises and the plans that he's made for our lives. We're reading in the headlines too often these days stories where the darkness closes in and absolutely suffocates the hope and the possibility that even any form of life for us is possible. And so people bail out. Because fear is real and it's in our story. But as we're looking today at this text and looking back at the story of David and Goliath, there are a few big ideas that I want to put forward today that really revolutionize the story for us. And if fear is going to fall, if anger is going to fall, rejection is going to fall, if any giant in our lives is going to fall, we've got to get the story right before we can experience the power of God in our present moment. And here's the first big idea. Are you ready for this? This is the big idea coming out of Goliath must fall. That in this story, you are not David in the story of David and Goliath. 
I know I'll let that set for a minute because it's like, who is this guy and where did he come from? Uh, he, he's like rolling in here with some heresy in the Fresh Life Church today, but just bear with me for a minute. All of us have heard somewhere, any church people here, I'm a church kid. If you're not a church kid and you're new to this story, let me tell you how it was preached to church kids, vacation Bible school, backyard Bible club, summer camp, youth retreat. Some speaker came in. They always pulled out David and Goliath about halfway through the deal. They preached an amazing sermon. They looked down at me because I was the littlest middle school kid in the gathering, pointed at the little scrawny kid back here because David in the story was about 14, 15 years old. We think he was a little shepherd boy. We're not sure. He could have been a little bit taller, but let's just say he was medium-sized little 14-year-old. And they look over at the middle schoolers and they go, and if this little shepherd boy could take down a nine-and-a-half-foot giant, then you can take down whatever's facing you in your life. And I mean, our hair would instantly light on fire. We would be filled with more zeal than we could contain. We would scour the campsite for five smooth stones. We would find them. We would come back the next night. We would consecrate them at the altar. The pastor of the camp would lay hands on our rocks and pray for them. And we would go out of that camp thinking, I'm going to take down every giant in my story. And we were convinced it was going to be that way. But here's the reality for the church kids here today. Some of the same giants that were in our story at 15 and 16 and 17 at those summer camps are still standing in our valley today at 26 and 36 and 46 years old. Because in our own strengths, we're not able to take down giants. And hello, God never asked us to. We just assumed that we were going to be the hero of the story. The reason is, for another day, that we assumed that the Bible was all about us. And so we look for all the hero roles, and then we try to get in the hero roles. I'll walk on water. I'll bring down walls seven stories tall at Jericho. I'll get a slingshot and take down the giant of rejection or take down the giant of addiction. But here's the thing. We're not the hero in God's story called the Bible. Jesus is the hero in God's story called the Bible. And I love that we worked for the last few years on a project called the Jesus Bible, helping us see Jesus from beginning to end. And so if you fast forward to 1 Samuel 17, you say, well, where's Jesus in this text? We know he's not uh, the Philistine army. We know he's not Goliath. We know he's not Saul. We know he's not Israel. So it must be that Jesus is David in the story of David and Goliath. And here's what's pretty amazing about that. Do you know where David was from? A little town called Bethlehem. A little shepherd boy from Bethlehem came to deliver God's people. And then you just fast forward through history. Another shepherd came from Bethlehem or through Bethlehem, better said, to you Salt Lake City guys. He had to come from heaven through Bethlehem to get in the story of God on earth. And Jesus came to take down every giant in our story. So this is the first idea that sort of changes things, that you're not David. So God isn't looking at you today going, you got to bulk up, armor up, hulk up, figure out a way to get, get your rocks and your sling together and go do some damage. No, he's saying, I came from heaven to earth to take the head off, to decapitate every giant, to defang the power of the darkness, if you will. 
and to give you a pathway of truth that you can walk on. To say it a different way, Jesus is your giant slayer. And he's taken all the giants down. He's taken them all down. The second big idea is this, and maybe coming into your campus today, uh, you notice that there was a little crime scene outside. It was just kind of a rough take on a, a cool idea, and it is this, that your giant, whatever your giant is today, is already dead. So Jesus came to kill your giant, and he did a great job in his death, burial, and resurrection to destroy the power of darkness. And so if fear is your giant today, I'd like you to know that fear is a crime scene. <laughs> so you, when you come to fear, when you, when you hear the message, when, when, the, when the soundtrack starts playing, you, you need to immediately think, crime scene. Fear is dead. There's, there's a the beautiful song, Zach Williams, Fear is a Liar. And it is a liar, but fear in and of itself and its power is dead. Jesus has taken the sting out of fear. And he's taken all the power out of the lies. He's replaced that with his truth. And he's given us a new glimpse into who he is and what he can do in our lives. And if the first thing you think when you walk to your giant is, my giant is a crime scene. Rejection's dead. Anger's dead. Addiction is dead. And, and you realize Jesus actually has come to do the work and has finished the work. But here's the second part of that big idea. Your giant is dead, but your giant is still deadly. Your giant's dead, but it's still deadly. I know, it sounds a little bit crazy, right? But think about it like this. When David killed Goliath, he killed him by hitting him right in the head with this stone. Goliath, you know, stutters, shudders, falls over, and is dead. David runs toward the dead giant. He, he pulls his, the giant's sword out of his sheath, chops his head off, which I don't know if a, a middle school kid can whack a head off in one stroke or if it took three or four, if he had to hack it off like a machete. I don't know. It's gory and gross, I know, but he had to cut the guy's head off. He's a large man. He pulls the head up on display for all the Philistines to see. Can you imagine the, the spotter on that side of the, the valley? They're like, well, what is happening? I don't know. It looks like the Goliath fell over. We're not sure why. The little kid's running up there. Is Goliath moving? No, he's not moving at all. He, I don't think he's going to. Oh, no, the kid's got his sword. Uh, maybe it was a ploy. Maybe, you know, I wouldn't have run up there. Maybe Goliath faked falling over, and then when the kid got close, he grabbed him by the neck, squeezed his eyes out. I, I, don't, I, don't, I would have gotten that close, but no, he's dead, pulls the thing out, cuts his head off, holds it up so the spotter can, oh, this is not good. No, this is <laughs> terrible. What, what's happening? He, he's holding his head up, chopped his head off. And then do you know what he did with the head? Anybody know? He carried the head to Jerusalem. 20 miles. That's a long way. That's not the HOV lane. That's not fast tracking it. That's like, I got a head and I'm, I'm walking basically 20 miles with a guy's head. Village by village. What is that? That's Goliath. Oh, we've heard of Goliath. Well, there he is. Hello, Goliath. Everyone, everyone, Goliath. <laughs> then when he gets to Jerusalem, the, the significance is that this is the centerpiece in God's plan and story of redemption and glory. Wow. And that giant's head makes it all the way to the temple 
in Jerusalem, dead. But yet, our giants, dead, are still talking. When we were college kids, older high school kids, my friend Andy Stanley and I would go to this summer camp every year. They had a week for 7th and 8th grade, a week for 9th and 10th, a week for 11th and 12th. And if you got old enough to be a counselor, you could stay the whole, you could stay a month basically on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, which sounds cool now, but it was kind of jungle-less back then in the 70s at the little Presbyterian camp we stayed at, which was in the woods, I'm telling you. And the girls' cabins were down that way, the guys down, that, down this way. And I mean, there's snakes everywhere. And so on the weekends, we would go out and put lime all around the girls' cabins and bathhouses because you had to walk outside at night in the dark to the bathhouse, so you probably didn't do that. You're like, I'll just wait. Thank you very much. Um, But then we would go out and just on these extermination outings, and we really were just looking for an opportunity to kill snakes because we were petrified of snakes. So in the the afternoon, late evening, uh, twilight hours on that Saturday and Sunday before the next group of campers came, we would walk through these fields behind the girls' cabins and grass about this deep, probably had tennis shoes on with the baseball bats, and we would see the copperheads in the sandy soil through the grass. And then once it got a little bit dusky, we would spot them with our flashlights. We would pound them on the head. We would kill them like with a hundred blows to the head. And then we knew the one thing you have to do when you kill a snake, you've got to bury that head. And so we would grind the head down into the sand with the baseball bat and hold it really tight, grab the body, snatch it hard and snatch the head off from the end of the snake. You're like, why are you telling us this? You're interrupting a perfectly good summer. (laughs) Because we would then want to carry the snakes with us. Because you don't want to leave a a mostly, you know, attached snake laying in the grass for the next guy coming behind you. Or when we're circling back, somebody's going to think that's a live snake. So we just carried all the snakes we killed, which could be up to 10 or 12 in our hand. So we got 10 snakes by the tail in our hand, which heads have been buried along the way for the last while. But as you're walking, all 10 of the snakes are just wrapping themselves all the way around your arm and wiggling and squirrels. You're just like, I'm, I know they're dead. I killed them. I pounded their heads into oblivion, squashed them down into the sand, snatched their bodies, separated them from their heads, and then put sand on top of their heads and then walked away. I know they're dead, but oh my goodness, this is killing me right now. Do you know that if a snake dies of natural causes, I don't know why I say natural causes, of any causes, (laughs) on a trail, Let's just say it died of natural causes on the trail. You came along a month later. It had decomposed down to its skeleton, and you somehow decided that you wanted to test it out, and you put your foot towards its fang and stepped on and punctured your foot with its fang. Do you know that even a month later, a rattlesnake would automatically inject spring-loaded venom from a month ago from its fang into your foot, and you would immediately need to seek medical help. Your giant is dead, but it's still deadly. In other words, what I'm saying is your giant is dead, but your giant's still talking. 
That's how the giant is still moving. It's not squiggling and wiggling and trying to wrap itself up your arm. It's mostly talking to you as if it's not dead, even though it is dead, because you're like, look, I know Jesus already carried your head to a cross in Jerusalem. I already know he already took out your power in his death, burial, and resurrection, but somehow there's a little overlap period here on planet Earth, and you're still talking like you're living, but I know you're talking, but you're already dead. And this is the reality. So we come into our story, and, and Jesus has finished a work that the giants are already dead, the head's already been severed, the power has already been disconnected, but the mouth is still moving. And it's staggering, isn't it? How many people live bound by the voice of a giant that is dead? So how do we walk free? I just want to get practical just for a few minutes. How, how then do we walk free? If, we, if we're living with anxiety wrapped around our neck, suffocating us every day, panic is a part of our story, Medication is the only way we're coping with life right now. We dread everything. We worry about everything. Doom, darkness is just closing in in our world. How do we break free from fear in all of fear's cousins? Well, it's basically wrapped up in two things. It has to do with what you see with your eyes, the eyes of your heart, and what you say with your mouth. It has to do with what you see with your eyes and what you say with your mouth, what you see with your eyes. Can you say that with me? It has to do with what you see with your eyes and what you say with your mouth. It has to do with what you see with your eyes and what you say with your mouth. You say, no, it's all about a slingshot and five stones. So preach a great message about what my five rocks are and how I can get a good slingshot and how I can take good aim. It's really not about what's in your hand. Think about this. When David came into the valley against the giant, and by the way, David, so when it says in verse uh, 24 that all the Israelites ran from Goliath in great fear, the very next verse in verse 25 says, um, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? Drop down to verse 26. David then asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? That's a lone voice right there. Then you look down a few verses later, and I love it. It says, well, here's what's going to be done, but nobody's willing to do that. And then David says in verse 32, to the king, to King Saul, let no one lose hope or lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. Why? Because he wasn't shut down by what he saw in a nine and a half foot tall Goliath. Because he saw something else that was driving 
his ability to think differently about the circumstances, and then he spoke differently to the circumstances than anybody else. And at the end of the day, yeah, he came out with five smooth stones, only needed one, but maybe some of those other giant brothers are around, and we got a few extra for them. He came out with a slingshot, which he knew how to use well, but his weapon was neither of those. His weapon what was what was in his mouth when he came out to Goliath and said, you're coming at me with what? A spear and a javelin? That's impressive, but here's what I'm coming at you with. I'm coming at you when the name of the Lord of the armies of Israel, which you have defied. So I see something different, and I'm saying something different, and what I'm seeing and what I'm saying are going to be the difference makers in this moment. What I'm seeing and what I'm saying are showing you that I'm going to be a difference maker in this moment. So it wasn't like, you know, hey, I'm coming at you with uh, this or with this technique or this or that. No, I see something and I'm going to say something. And I think that's the principle for my life and the principle for your life. There's a text I want to lead you to today, which is a practical roadmap for how to take down your giant in the power of the finished work of Jesus. It's not going to be a challenge for us today to say, okay, let's get our courage up and go out and do this thing. Because, you know, the antidote to fear isn't courage. The antidote to fear isn't, I got I to be more brave. I got to be more courageous. I got to dig down deep and somehow not be afraid of this thing or not be anxious about this situation anymore or not worry about this outcome. The, the antidote to fear isn't courage. The antidote to fear is faith. And the soundtrack of faith is worship. That's what I see and what I say coming together to change my viewpoint of what is about to happen in my story. Giants are real. I'm not trying to belittle them today. I, I shared when I was here two summers ago about my own struggle with anxiety. Led me into a pit of depression. Knocked me out of life for several months of life. Shelly can tell you how dark it was, how broken it was, how frustrating it was. I didn't leave the house to go to dinner with friends or to go to meetings at the church. I, I couldn't cope with normal, everyday circumstances and situations. I'm not here today to put a Band-Aid on your giant. I'm not here to give a one-size-fits-all, simple little formula that if everybody presses the right buttons, anger and rejection and addiction and all these major strongholds that have got their foot on top of us today will all just vanish and go away. But I am saying today that I'm standing here by the grace of God to say to anybody with a giant here that the giants are real and the giants are deadly, dead but deadly, and they can take us out. But here's the thing. Our giants are not bigger than Jesus. There's not a giant in any story in this house today that's bigger than Jesus. And so what we want to do today is figure out how to get our view back on him, how to get the attention back on him. Because what we have a tendency to do is to worship the giant. You're like, I don't worship my giant. Oh, yes, we do. For years, probably after that, I talked to people about my anxiety. My anxiety this, my anxiety that. Oh, I'm not going to be able to go, babe. I think my anxiety's acting up. And I talked about anxiety so much that anxiety became the object of my conversation, of my focus. It was what I saw, and it was what I said. All I saw was anxiety, and all I said was anxiety. 
And God is giving us another way today. And he's saying, I want you to see something else, and I want you to say something else. Not so that poof, in an instant, with a little magic wand and a nice little message from Louis, all this years of you know, bitterness or anger or resentment that's been lighting my heart on fire is just going to vanish maybe in 30 seconds. But so that you can change the soundtrack of your life. And this is what Paul is, I mean, what, Saul, what David is saying in Psalm 16. Same David who's taken down Goliath. This is what David is saying in Psalm 16. He says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. That's what I see. I've chosen with many adversaries to make sure that the thing that I primarily see is the Lord. I fought a bear. I fought a lion. I've been out in the wilderness. I've been through the valley of the shadow of death. I know what it's like to be alone as a teenager or a small boy with shepherd shepherding sheep on the backside of nowhere in the middle of the night with sounds coming out of the darkness. I know what that's about, but I have chosen to set the Lord continually before me. That's saying I'm going to dictate where my eyes go. So yes, there's a giant. Yes, the giant's nine and a half foot tall. But I'm going to lift my eyes above the giant to see something and someone greater than the giant. And so this is the choice that he made, and it's the choice that you can make and the choice that I can make. You can decide where you set your gaze. You can't decide your circumstances. You can't control your environment. You can't control your genetics. You can't control all the conditioning you got from your family. You might not even can control what's making you fearful right now or what's making you anxious right now, but you can control where you put your focus and what you see. He said, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So I've got a God in view, and I've got a God right beside me. I've got God in my sights, and I've got God by my side. I'm going to be okay no matter what it is that comes over the horizon. It could be a diagnosis. It could be a situation, a relational thing. It could be some darkness, some internal thing, some external thing. But I've got the God of heaven in view, and I've got the Lord Jesus Christ by my side. I have God in sight, and I have God by my side. And here are the results of setting your gaze in the right place. So he just puts them out. Verse 9, three things. Therefore, my heart is glad. The first thing that's going to change when we shift our sight and shift our view is our heart is going to stabilize. Yeah. What is our heart? You mean my heart rate? Literally, probably your blood pressure will probably go down. Your heart rate may decrease slowly by putting the God of the universe in view, but really what he's saying is my emotions are going to stabilize. I'm going to get off the roller coaster of it's going to work. Oh, no, it's not going to work. There's going to be a, a, a solution. Oh, no, there's not going to be a solution because God isn't on a roller coaster. Life is a roller coaster, but God is steady, and he's sure and when my eyes are on the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who's the same yesterday and today and forever, who's, who's got no shifting, no turning, no changing in his nature, then it stabilizes my emotions. 
and it steadies my heart. My heart is glad. The first thing that happens when God is solidly in my view, and I, I'm not saying I don't have a giant. I'm just choosing not to stare at my giant. I'm choosing to lift my eyes up to my God. The second thing he says happens is my tongue rejoices. When God is in view, worship is always an option. You're like, but yeah, you can't worship in this circumstance. You can if you see God in this circumstance. You can worship in this circumstance. If, if the circumstance has completely clouded your view and blocked out the God of the universe, there will be no worship. There will only be worry in your mouth. But here's the beauty. Worship and worry cannot be in our mouths at the same time. One displaces the other. And when you see God, you can always worship God. In the darkness, in death, in the discouraging times, you still can say, but I see God. He's a good God. He's a God who gave himself for me. He's a God who created me for a purpose. I know this because of the cross. I can trust him because of the cross. And I can worship him even now because of what he did for me on the cross. And a song of praise can happen. I tell about it more in the book, but the, the turning moment for me, the defining moment for me was the weakest, darkest night of my life to date. In the middle of this depression hole, when a little song of praise came in my heart at two in the morning and started leading me back to the light. Worship is a weapon that pierces the darkness and leads us into the light. So, so here's the question, really. Who gave the enemy power over the playlist? Who, who said to him, hey, we're going through life, and we'll just let you pick the music, and you can create the soundtrack, and you can go on Spotify and, you know, just put a playlist together for us, and we'll just track along with that playlist. We, you, have the power over the playlist in your life. You may not have power over much else in your life right now, but you've got power over the playlist. So when this dead giant called fear starts talking to you like he's dominating and alive, and all of a sudden the story is back, and you're like, here it comes again. In the middle of the night, I wake up, and I hear him telling me one more time. And what David is saying is, no, no, I actually have control of the playlist. And so this playlist is the playlist of a defeated and dead giant who, you know, thinks he has got control of my life, but at the end of the day, not so much. At the end of the day, not so much. I'm not defeated. I'm not alone. I'm not going down. I'm not going to sink. <laughs> this isn't a dead-end street. I'm not going to die. This isn't the end of the road. I have a God who is for me and a God who is with me and a God who is greater than whatever I'm walking through. So the playlist is not in the hands of the enemy today. And so you can just simply say, there's a button that says stop and eject. But there has to be a replacement playlist 
in that moment. And if you don't have a ready playlist of a song of praise that amplifies the greatness of God in history and the hope of God in the future, then you're going under when the giant of fear, anxiety comes into your story talking all the trash he's going to be talking. For the first few months of this year, my, my soundtrack was Do It Again, that Elevation song. Do you know that song? I've seen you move the mountains, and I believe that you will do it again, that you can do it again. Some days, March, April, May, wasn't facing anything necessarily all that daunting, but every time the enemy would maneuver, I would pull my phone out, had it on my playlist, I would click on the nine-minute live version, and I would just crank it up as loud as I could, and I would remember my God took down the walls of Jericho. My God parted the Red Sea. My God shut the mouths of the lions, and my God came to destroy the darkness and to take down every single giant. See, the antidote to fear is faith. And the soundtrack to faith is worship. And I don't mean music necessarily because we know that it's truth that sets us free. So you got to put on a soundtrack that's rooted in truth. So you don't need just have a song that says, oh, the Lord is wonderful, and I'm wonderful, and he thinks I'm wonderful, and I think he's wonderful, and he loves me, and I love him, and we love each other, and we're always going to love each other because I'm so wonderful. Why wouldn't he want to love someone as wonderful as me? That might be a great song for a moment, but you need a song anchored in the word of God, in the truth of God, in the historicity of God, in the faith of God, in the unchanging nature of God, in the sovereign plans of God, and you need a song of hope and faith for the future. Change the soundtrack. He said, when I set the Lord in front of me, a few things happened. One, my emotions stabilized. Two, praise started coming out of my mouth. And when praise started coming out of my mouth, guess what? The, the, the darkness turned into light. You've got the power to turn the volume down on the lies and turn the volume up on the truth. You have your hand on the playlist today, and you can make that choice. But that choice is made more simply when you put God in view. Open this word. Find who he is. Lock your heart and your eyes on who he is. You know, when David came into this valley, he's looking up at Goliath and he's saying, yeah, you're, this guy's giant. But when I was out one night with the sheep, I looked up into the universe and I penned the words, thank you very much. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I pen the words when I consider the heavens, the moon and the stars, the work of your fingers, what you have done, the, the moon and the stars that you have set in place. I say, what is man that you are mindful? of him, even a nine and a half foot tall man that you are mindful of him. So he came in the valley and he said, you know what I see? I don't see a giant. I see a galaxy breather. I worship a galaxy maker. Nine and a half feet tall is nothing compared to a galaxy maker. And then he closes with this beautiful little line, third thing. He says, and my flesh will dwell secure. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest secure. I have spent many nights this year 
just practicing the 23rd Psalm. Maybe the greatest known passage in the Bible. And I thought, I've got a shepherd. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with me in the valley of the shadow of death. And because he's with me, I'm not going to fear any evil. You know why practically? Because he's got a rod in one hand and a staff in the other. The staff, he leads me. The rod, he destroys my enemies. So I don't need a friend who's got my back. I've got a shepherd who's got a rod in his hand who protects me from anything that's coming to destroy his purpose in my life. And I've said many, many nights, God, I'm anxious tonight. I'm anxious again tonight, but I don't call it anxiety anymore. I dig down one layer below and I ask the question, what's making me anxious? Who's making me anxious? And then I give whoever or whatever it is to my shepherd. And I say, will you take this? Will you take this situation, circumstance, these people, this conversation, this, this perplexed situation over here, and will you manage it? Will you carry it? Will you hold it? Because in your hands is power. You don't need sleep tonight, but I do. You're not tired, but I am. I only see a little, but you see a lot. I can't change very much, but you can change everything. My, my abilities are limited tonight, and my body is frail, but your abilities are limitless and your power is unending. And so God, I say to you tonight, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so I say, the giant of fear is dead. And the giant slayer, Jesus, he's alive. And he's in this place right now. So Lord, I pray for everybody in every location, someone sitting in Billings or someone sitting in Bozeman right now. God, I pray for people in Paulson who came in today and this is like reading their life story in Whitefish, Salt Lake City, in Helena, somebody online somewhere thinking they're all alone. Someone in Missoula, someone right here in this room. And I thank you, God, that there's a giant slayer in our story tonight named Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Open our eyes to see you, Jesus, so that then our mouths will open to praise you and confess you for our freedom and for your glory's sake, God. Open our eyes and open our mouths in Jesus' name. Can we all say that together in Jesus' name? Name. In Jesus' name, amen. What an incredible message. Thank you for joining us this week for this teaching at Fresh Life Church. If at any point during the message you felt led to make a decision for Christ, please click the Know God tab on our website. Once you're there, you'll find a short video that will help you learn a little bit more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we would love to congratulate you and support you in this decision by sending you some resources that will help you start your relationship with God on the right foot. Also, if you've been impacted by the ministry at Fresh Life, we would love to hear about it. You can go to the Share Your Story tab on our website, fill out the form, let us know how God's working in your life. Trust me when I tell you that this is so encouraging to our staff and to our entire church. We love hearing how we're impacting you and how God is working in your life. Lastly, if you'd like 
to partner with us financially and support the work that God is doing through Fresh Life, you can click the Give tab on our website. That will take you to a safe and secure website where you can set up a one-time gift or a reoccurring gift that will help us continue to help those stranded in sin find life and liberty in Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for joining us.